So last time we worked our way through Daniel 9, which was the prophecy of the 77s. And tonight we're going to look at um, the last vision that Daniel has, the final one. But the final one encompasses chapters 10, 11, and 12. So it's a really long vision. So unfortunately, we won't be able to cover it all tonight, nor would I want to try to cover it all tonight. Um, But we're going to look at chapter 10, which is the introduction to the vision. And there, in chapter 10, kind of specifically, there are no real direct connections, we'll say, to um, how Daniel connects to Revelation. However, chapter 10 is such an important chapter. It's such a very unique chapter because of what it shows us. And it kind of pulls back the spiritual curtain and shows us some of the things that go on behind the scenes. When we talk about spiritual warfare, when we talk about um, uh, the battles that they face in the heavenlies, this constant conflict, um, Daniel chapter 10 is a classic chapter that we'll often go to. Now, we can associate that with Revelation because we know in Revelation there's lots of spiritual battles both in the heavenlies as well as on earth during the tribulation. So there are some connections, but no direct ones. But this is such an important chapter. Um, there's, there's, there's no reason why we'd ever want to pass this up. So read with me tonight. I'm in Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to read the first couple of verses here, um, the first three verses, just to kind of get our, our bearings. So it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. So that kind of sets up what we're going to talk about. Again, this vision is chapters 10, 11, and 12. 10 is kind of the introduction to what's going to happen. 11, chapter 11, there's more than 120 or 130 distinct prophecies in chapter 11 alone. Now, the next time we meet, we won't talk about all 130 of them. But just to know that there are literally more than 130 specific prophecies in Daniel chapter 11, uh, both in Daniel's past or excuse me, in Daniel's future, our past, and in both Daniel's and our future. So now you're really confused, right? And then chapter 12 concludes the vision, okay? So we're going to look at chapter 10 tonight. So the general setting here is is that the vision here occurs about two years after chapter 9. So the last time we met chapter 9, the prophecy of the 77s, it's been about two years since he's had um, another revelation, which is this last one. A short time after the Jews have returned uh, to their homeland because of the exile, the exile is over. Um, Daniel here is about 86, 85, 86, 87 years old. He's retired from his governmental service. He served the whole term, um, <laughs> the whole term uh, while he was in Babylon. Um, but he chose to remain in Babylon. He chose not to return home uh, to Israel. Uh, many scholars believe that Daniel eventually just dies in Babylon and never returns back to his homeland. And he's buried there, but no one seems to know uh, where that was. The text uses the name when it talks about Daniel. Uh, specifically there in verse 1, it says, whose name was called Belteshazzar. Not Belshazzar, which is in chapter 5, but Belteshazzar. 
Um, that's Daniel's uh, Babylonian name. It wants, the text is just letting us know this is the same Daniel that was during the Babylonian realm and during the Babylonian rule. This is the same guy because we're in a different uh, kingdom here, the kingdom of Persia. And so it's the same guy. Um, he's retired, but yet he's still serving, still doing what he can. So you look at this phrase, and there, there's one issue that I need to point out right away before we look into the larger part of the text, where in this first part of verse 1 it says, the message was true, but the appointed time was long. I searched for a while, and I've done this before as well, to try to figure out why, um, and there's a couple of translations, in your New King James, your King James, and I think your New American Standard Bible, where um, this is the rendering, the appointed time was long. Um, when the literal rendering in the Hebrew, and you can look it up, it's, it's not that difficult with all the tools that are available today, it says a great war or conflict. They say, how can you get the difference between um, you know, a great war or conflict and then the appointed time was long? I, I don't know. I searched long and hard to try to figure out why they decided to translate it that way. It could be something related to some of the original uh, text or, or different things like that. But as you'll see, as we read through this, you'll see that the better translation that's been offered, which deals with a great war or conflict, is not just a better translation because of the more information we have today, but it's a better translation because of the context of what's here in Daniel chapter 10. And as we read through this, you'll see that it truly is about a great war or about a great conflict that's happening, that's happening, something we may not be able to see. So for a period here of three weeks, it says um, in verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he's got three weeks here. He's kind of doing a semi-fast. He's, he's drinking bread and water during this time. Um, he's also neglected some personal grooming, the fragrant oil here, commonly used to make you smell good, just like we use oils today, right, to make us smell good. Um, and so verse 3 notes, says, on the 24th day, or excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, verse number 3, on the 24th day of the first month is when he had his vision. So think with me, on the 24th day of the month, he has his vision. 21 days earlier would have been the third day, okay, of the first month. Now, the important thing about the first month for the Jewish person is the 15th day of the first month, or the first month is the day when they celebrate Passover. So Daniel does not celebrate Passover. So this is a really big deal where he's actually spending time studying God's word, having some fasting and prayer in deep study, trying to understand the details of this vision. I mean, just like in chapter 9, we saw that last time, he's studying to try to ascertain, praying, fasting, try to ascertain what does this vision need. I need help, God, in understanding this vision. And so he goes into prayer and fasting. This time, he's in prayer and fasting for a couple of weeks, for three weeks, and he's in deep study. Now look what it says. Uh, verse number 4. So now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lift up my eyes and look, and behold, a certain man in linen, 
whose face, or excuse me, whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. It says, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Now, as we read through this text in, in, in chapter 10, there's, there's a couple of different supernatural beings here that kind of show up on the surface. Um, and so you have to pay close attention to the context, to what happens before and what happens after. It's like in grammar class when you're trying to do those certain things where you're trying to find the antecedent to the pronoun and the he, she, and it refers to this person or does it refer to the other guy or further back, and sometimes it can get a little confusing. Um, so let's just kind of slowly walk through this, but I, I hope that as we walk through this, you'll see how, how valuable this particular um, um, this particular uh, text is here in Daniel chapter 10. So verse 5 and 6 kind of depict a heavenly being that Daniel sees here in his vision. Um, this description could be uh, Christ himself uh, because you can see the overwhelming effect it has on Daniel. You can go to places like Ezekiel chapter 1 or even to Revelation chapter 1 when we see the uh, Christ there. And there are a lot of details that are very identical to this person as well as to Revelation 1 and Ezekiel 1. Um, and also this same man here, the one clothed in linen, it says, uh, shows up later in Daniel 12. But, I say, and I say this carefully, for our purposes, I'm going to choose to designate this heavenly being, just think of him as, as a mighty angel. And I'll explain why later on. But just think of him as a mighty angel. One like in rank, like, like you might think of the archangels. Okay. And we'll use that term, mighty angel. Daniel's already, he's going to recognize two specific angels by name. We already know about Gabriel. We talked about him earlier. Now we're going to be introduced to another one called Michael. And these are the ones that are named in the book. And you realize that only the book of Daniel actually gives us names in the Old Testament of actually angels. The actual proper names or whatever you might call them. Not that's an angel, but an actual proper name of an angel. Um, in the New Testament, of course, uh, we come into contact with Gabriel and, of course, in Revelation as well. Um, but there's just not enough information, I feel, to, to claim this mighty angel as the Son of God or, or this, this particular vision. Now, you might believe he is, and that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you um, if that's your interpretation of it. But um, to me, the, just the context itself there's a little more to it. And so the sound of his voice calls Daniel to fall in a great sleep with his face to the ground, okay? And then look at verse 10. It says, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. 
and I have come because of your words. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision, talking about chapter 11 here, refers to many days yet to come. Now let's, let's kind of slowly unpack this a little bit here. Now this time, in this vision that Daniel has, he doesn't receive a vision where he writes down what he sees. The angel actually orally gives him the message. There's no animals, no symbolic images to interpret, uh, nothing like that. It's an actual oral message, so write it down. Write down what I tell you, okay? And the hand that touched Daniel and reassured him here in verse 10, it says, suddenly a hand touched me, made me tremble on my knees, and he said, oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. Gabriel has said those words already several times. So I kind of think that maybe Gabriel might be the one here in the text that the same angel who first appeared in chapter 8, which we never really talked about chapter 8, but also shows up in chapter 9. Uh, Gabriel relayed the message of visions to Daniel in chapters 8 and 9. So, hey, why not? Familiar with him? You know, why not in chapters 10, 11, and 12 be the same guy? He's comfortable with him. I guess they're on a uh, first-name basis now. He knows them by name, you know. Um, I guess that's kind of nice to have an angel on the first-name basis. And uh, to, I don't know if he could call him whatever he wanted to. Um, but it's also possible that the supernatural angel might be someone else. Um, it, it could be. It's very possible. Um, because, uh, well, we'll talk that in the text. Now, now, the problem here, let me just interject this before I get any further and get, uh, get lost in some details. There is no Old Testament or New Testament book um, that is, explains to us uh, the doctrine of uh, the supernatural. It just doesn't exist. Okay? And what I mean by that is that supernatural characters show up in the biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation. They just show up. And they relay a message, or they do this or do that. There's no book that we have anywhere in the old or new that says, okay, this is you know, the, the order and rank of the supernatural beings, and this is how it goes, and this is what they do, and this is their job, and they do this, but they don't do this. And There's no book like that. You know, whereas, for example, like the doctrine of salvation, what we say, that could be really codified in the book of Romans. You know, it talks all about salvation in the book of Romans, or we might go to the book of John and learn that Jesus is the Son of God. Seven different proofs about a doctrine here. There are several books in both the Old and New Testament that really hammer home certain doctrines. But supernatural beings and what are their names, what are they called, what are their job descriptions, it's sprinkled all throughout Scripture. So it's kind of like secondary information. And we often get distracted by the messenger, and we forget the message. It's like when a supernatural being shows up on the scene in the Old Testament or the New Testament, we're like, whoa, why is he here? And we're not paying attention to the message that he's giving. We want to know why is he here specifically. Like, this is different. This is unique. And it's an interesting thing to us. It kind of piques our interest, uh, much like Revelation does in some of the supernatural events and, and, and uh, angels and demons. That's kind of what we call them. Uh, in, a, in a more secular slang, uh, just angels and demons. So I just want to get that out just so you understand. So it's kind of hard 
to get through some of these details in chapter 10 with absolute certainty because we don't have any a book to go by and say, okay, he's, he fits into this scheme, he fits into this scheme. Um, and of course, you know, there's no way really to fit God into anything because God always is outside the box and never inside the box. But verse 12 is, is to me, is one of the most interesting verses in all of Scripture because it, it shows us that God had dispatched an answer to Daniel's prayer as soon as he began to pray. As soon as he began to pray, it says that I've come to answer your request. However, the angel couldn't get to Daniel immediately because he was held up, it says. It was held up by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So if one angel is trying to get to Daniel and is held up, no mere man is going to be able to hold up an angelic force here. So that gives us understanding that the prince of the kingdom of Persia relates to some angelic uh, supernatural being. It says, after 21 days of conflict between this mighty angel and the prince of Persia, it says another angel, Michael, who's one of the chief princes, came to help to get the message through to Daniel. So do you think that this is a valuable message it is trying to come through? I, I would say so. If, if this mighty angel can't get the message through and needs the help of another mighty angel to get the message through to Daniel, then it's got to be an important message. But nonetheless, the fact that as soon as Daniel began to pray, as soon as he did, the message was sent. As soon as he did. So you look at what it says. Um, for 21 days, this conflict existed. For 21 days, Daniel was praying. He didn't give up. You know, what if he gave up and, you know, prayed for a few days? Maybe the message would have never gotten to him. The idea of, of persevering in prayer. But evidently, the reason that Michael became involved was because Daniel was interceding for the nation of Israel. And Michael, as we'll learn here and later on in chapter 12, and even in Revelation chapter 12 as well, <laughs> it's kind of a theme there, um, is watches over, we might think of him as the guardian angel over the nation of Israel, if you can think of it in those terms. But let's take a minute and just look at it. And I wrote down a few things here. I don't have anything for the screens tonight, but I just wrote down a few things here about the, the idea of the supernatural realm from the text. And I just want to uh, say a few of them. The first one, it seems that princes in the text of Daniel 10 often refer not to human leaders, but to supernatural beings, whether evil or good ones. So in this context, think of them as that way. Now, they might be influencing human rulers, like these supernatural princes here might be influencing human rulers to do certain things. Um, you realize that what happens in our physical world, first there's some kind of battle that happens in the spiritual realm before it actually gets passed down into our human realm. And that's what this text is trying to tell us. A second thing here is that God often sends answers to our prayers by means of his messengers or of his angels. The word angel literally means messenger. That's what it means. Angelos is the messenger. And sometimes we get discouraged because our prayers aren't answered, right? And there might be factors that hinder a praying Christian from getting the answer that he's looking for. And, and, and sometimes we wonder, well, why, why aren't our requests answered? 
Well, sometimes there might be a really, really good reason for it. A battle going on in the heavenlies to prevent that answer from coming to you. Now you say, well, what request of mine is so important that there might be a battle going on? You never know. Daniel didn't know. He had no idea that the request that he was praying for was going to be held up with such and fought over in the heavenlies before it got to him. What about after day 20? And he would have stopped and gotten discouraged. The answer would have never gotten there. You know, we, we might not have all the prophecies that he has in Daniel chapter 11 or chapter 12. So there's an idea of perseverance here um, in prayer. Then third, there's, there's a battle that rages outside our physical limitations, a spiritual battle between good and evil, heavenly beings. And, and, and it's one of those things that sometimes we'd want to see it and other times we wouldn't want to see it. Like Daniel gets, get, gets a little picture here and, and the curtain is kind of pulled back and he gets to see the fact that something he prayed for, that response is coming back, it was fought over to get the request to him. Like there was a supernatural battle that took place so that he would not get the answer and understand that vision. And, and sometimes I kind of want the curtain to pull back and take a look at it. And other times I kind of like, no, I, I don't want to see it. Um, it. It's kind of a catch-22 because then you'll start thinking about it more. And anyway, you see what I'm saying. Some of you would rather like it, right? Pull it back and see what's going on. Others you're like, nope. I don't want to see it. I'd rather not even think about it. Don't even get me scared or nervous or distracted. Just keep it closed. Well, Daniel here didn't have, um, didn't have any choice. Um, he was given this vision. And then a fourth thing here, um, a fourth thing to note here is that some supernatural beings um, are restricted. It seems that they're restricted to certain um, some people say geographic areas, but I don't think that might be appropriate. I think they're certainly restricted to certain maybe political realms or political areas. Remember, we're talking about the four kingdoms, Babylon, you know, Medo-Persia, Greece, you know, and the fourth kingdom. So maybe it seems that in the text, the more um, contextual thing to say is that we're focusing on these supernatural beings who have more influence over maybe the leadership of certain nations not necessarily like the geographical regions of those nations. It's not like, you know, uh-oh, I'm, you know, I'm going into Ohio, all act is stopped, I can't, you know, I've got to stay in West Virginia. I don't think it's a physical boundary that's stopping them as much as it might be a, a political um, or a governmental realm of influence. And it almost seems that warfare that is fought in our physical realm is first won or decided in the spiritual realm. And that's the truth because that's exactly what this text is saying, is there was a battle that was fought to get the message to Daniel because there was a, a, malevolent, a malevolent here, an, an evil supernatural being that didn't want the message to get out, didn't want him to have it, wouldn't be written down, wouldn't be available for us today. There's a very specific reason there. But there's much, much more to it than that. All right, let's look at verse 15. We'll continue here. <laughs> when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. <laughs> you think you would have done the same thing? <laughs> you would have thought, what have I got myself into? <laughs> What did I pray for? It's kind of like those things, be careful what you ask for. 
you know, what have I done? And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. Yeah. (laughs) And I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. He's just saying, I just don't have any words to say. I just don't have nothing to say. Um, kind of reminds me of the passage in Romans chapter 8 when, uh, when Paul writes that. And there's sometimes when we have situations in our lives that um, we just... We want to pray about it, but we just don't know how to do it and don't know how to start. And, and, and our hearts yearn, our hearts kind of groan, and the Holy Spirit takes those groanings and utterings and, and makes them, fashions them some kind, of, some kind of prayer and offers it on our behalf because we just don't know what. And I'm sure Daniel felt that same way. He says, I, I, I don't know what to. Have you ever been speechless in a situation before? <laughs> Can you imagine how speechless Uh, Daniel must have been here. And he says this. um, He says, then again, the one having, verse 18, the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece, the next kingdom, will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up and confirmed and strengthened him. Um, Chapter 10, verse 1 to chapter 11, verse 1 is actually the first section. So we, we include verse 1 of chapter 11 as part of the, this message. So once more, back, back here to verse 15, once more the angel touches Daniel to strengthen him, speaks words of encouragement. It's okay. You're going to have to get up here. I'll give you a minute to let your reason and, and, and get, get in the right mind here return to you. Um, and before Daniel's given the message, this mighty angel reminds him that he must go back and continue to fight with the prince of Persia. The battle's not over. Fight with the prince of Persia. And eventually he's going to have to fight with the prince of Greece. Okay, There's, that's the second and third kingdoms. Angelic conflict would not stop when Persia takes over. It would continue into the days of the Greek Empire. And angelic support will be needed, especially in the days of the Greek Empire, when Antiochus begins some of his persecution that took place later on, three, four hundred years from when Daniel was writing this. But the angel uses the phrase, the scripture of truth. I think that's an interesting phrase here. And this seems to refer to all that God has recorded as truth, which would include the scripture, but also what God has not revealed up to this point in history. So in general, we like to think of it as maybe God's plan for Israel and for the world. Um, that's kind of the way I think of it. So now follow close me, because now it's going to get a little technical. Okay? And we learn back in chapter 10, verse 13, and chapter 10, verse 21, that Michael had helped this mighty angel. Okay? So Michael and this mighty angel helped the message get through to Daniel. Or, yeah. 
And now in chapter 11, verse 1, we find that this mighty angel had supported and protected Michael in the first year of Darius when Michael was fighting a battle. All right? So how he would have protected Michael is not really discussed in the text. But what's important for us to realize is there was a great spiritual conflict that occurred during the first year of Darius, okay, or Darius. So there's two conflicts here. The first one in the first year of Darius, a uh, second one in the third year, which we just talked about, of Darius, okay? So they're going back to talking about the one in the first year of Darius. Now, there are a lot of things that happened in the first year of Darius. Fall of Babylon, the prophecy of the 77s, kind of important. Uh, Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. Daniel thought that was important. The decree from Cyrus that the Jews can return to their homeland. So there are a lot of things that happened during that first year that may have caused this great supernatural battle. I like to think that the return of the Jews to, the home, to their homeland is probably what the conflict concerned, if you think about it. Because it's the return of the Jewish people to their homeland that would assure their continued existence as a nation, right? Because if they were completely wiped out in Babylon, and from that very Jewish nation would come a Messiah one day. Kind of important, right? One author says it this way, knowing that such a development could lead to the ultimate appearance of the Son of God as Messiah for God's redeemed, Satan and all his hosts were determined to thwart the renewal of Israel and deliverance of his people from destruction. To me, it's extremely logical to think that Satan and all his powerful minions fought to prevent the Jewish people from returning back to their homeland. Because if they could wipe out all the Jewish people, then guess what? No Messiah would come. And they could rule and reign over this world, this earth that they first took over, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. So yes, the conflict in the heavenlies would have required some additional help. I mean, we're talking about a big, big conflict. You realize that throughout, even throughout the Old Testament, there are so many different times when Satan tries to wipe out the Jewish people, when he tries to wipe out all of them. Because if he can stop the Messiah from ever coming, then guess what? He gets to keep what he has taken through sin in the Garden of Eden, what, what he has taken. He gets to keep it. He gets to rule and reign. Mankind was supposed to have dominion over all the earth, and Satan came in and took it from him. And God said way back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, I'm going to send somebody to fix to take back what you've taken, and I'm going to give it back to mankind because he's the one that deserves it. And so Satan knows there's going to be someone coming of Jewish descent here that's going to fix that problem. So he's trying to find a way to destroy it. Here's a key example here in Daniel chapter 9. If you've read the book of Esther, there's a great example in the book of Esther. Remember the example of Haman? And Haman gets upset because Mordecai, one simple Jew, just simply won't bow down to him. And he says, because of that, I'm going to destroy the whole nation of Jews. And he gets the king, uh, Artaxerxes, to sign that decree. that says, on this certain day, you can destroy all the Jewish people. I mean, you talk about satanic influence. You talk about, and by the way, you ready? So when did Esther take place? It took place during the realm of Persia, the Persian realm. Back to this text. I've got to go back and fight against the prince of Persia. 
okay? It's not done. It's not ended, okay? So as to me, sometimes I look at this and I think it makes me really, really scared about what's going on behind the scenes that I don't know about. It kind of makes me really nervous. I'm thankful that I have a God who's in control of everything. I have nothing to fear, but I'm also human. I'm also... <laughs> Uh, uh, scared and nervous, and, and sometimes when I read these things, and when all these things connect, and, and your eyes kind of bug out, and you're like, whoa, this, this, is, this is real, and you kind of get a little, little scared because of what happens. But the whole thing, okay, don't miss, in all the supernatural things that are happening here, don't miss the theme that he's gone back to in chapter 9 and also here in chapter 10, and it's the simple theme of prayer, Prayer is extremely valuable in helping us to understand God's word. And sometimes, guess what? Our prayer requests do get approved. They get approved. And the angelic postal system is just taking a little bit longer to deliver that request. Maybe than it needs to, or maybe he gets distracted, or maybe he's taken off because it's a, I don't know, it's a holiday. You know, if we truly want to understand the scriptures not just the prophetic passages that are here, then we need to make sure that prayer is, is, is explicitly tied to our reading and to our studying of God's word. Because there is a battle that goes on. Satan is trying, you know, there's an influence here where he's trying to help you not understand the scriptures. There's a battle that he's, that, that, that he's constantly fighting and that we are fighting with and those angelic forces behind the scenes. This message, if it did not get to Daniel, this request about prophecy here in chapter 9, we would never know about a Messiah who was soon coming, like in Daniel 9, the prophecy of the 77s. We would never know about any of that. So the next time we have a prayer request, the next time we pray, and you know, we've been praying for a long time, and it seems like nothing's happening, nothing's answered, nothing's coming. There might be a very good reason why it's being held up. And I think sometimes we feel that we might think of ourselves and say, well, my request is not that important, that it's really being fought over and being held up. But you never know, because God has this master plan for all of us and an intricately weaved tapestry, and you're a vitally important to that plan, to whatever it might be. Sometimes we don't get a chance to see that. Sometimes we'll get a chance to see it in our lifetime. The idea is that to be persevering in prayer. And for 21 days, again, what if he gave up on day 18 or 19 or 20 and got tired and said, like, uh, it's long enough. And I haven't gotten an answer yet. We wouldn't have gotten what's here. So the body of Daniel's message is going to show up as we work on chapter 11 next time. And the body of those prophecies, there is so much there, we won't have enough time to cover it. We'll spend time going about the second half of chapter 11. But all those things would be missed. We wouldn't have any of all those prophecies, more than 100 different ones in that text, if Daniel simply didn't persevere in prayer. And so it seems like prayer seems to be a theme here in the prophecies of Daniel, doesn't it? Um, a, 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 big, a big part of it. So if we really want to understand the Scriptures and grab some of those prophetic truths as well as just, <laughs> I call them the normal everyday things we should be doing in life. Prayer is such, such a big deal, such a big part of it. So next time, 
Next time, bring your paper, bring your brain, bring your, bring your, bring your uh, thinking cap, uh, because we'll talk about some of those prophecies. And we'll get a little more detailed, but, but don't let that discourage you. Pray before we get here. Pray during the whole week, <laughs> right? And, and I guarantee God will, God will answer some of those requests.